Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, we'll talk with Wendy Davidson. She's a global executive of more than 25 years of experience in the branded CPG, retail, and food service industries with a record of accomplishment and innovation turnaround, and profitable growth of mature businesses. As the president of the Americas for Glanbia Performance Nutrition, GPN, Wendy is responsible for leading the $1.2 billion business across North America and Latin America for leading brands in sports, nutrition, healthy lifestyle, and weight management. Wendy Davidson, thank you so much for joining the Ornit Podcast today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And you, tell us where you are physically. Where do you live? I am in the western suburbs of Chicago, so um, about a half an hour just west of the downtown. Got it. Got it. Okay. So in the Midwest, that's great. Where are you from originally? So I grew up in Lamar's, Iowa, so Northwest Iowa, went to college at Luther College in Northeast Iowa, and started my career actually with Von Maurer as a buyer in West Des Moines, and then moved to the Quad Cities afterwards. So I moved my way around Iowa before I found my way to Arkansas when I joined Tyson. That is fantastic. So blue bunny ice cream, (laughs) blue bunny ice cream actually started my career walking beans and detasseling corn. And I say career because I started that at 13 and, uh, and I sort of laughed that I think my parents shoved me out of the house to go, you know, get some, get my hands dirty a little bit. That's something. Do you think that had anything to do with who you are today? In some ways, I really do, because I was the only girl on the crew, and it was really early morning, and you were paid for hard work, but you were also measured against the rest of your team. And what I would consistently hear is, wow, you have a lot of capacity for work. And that, I think, has played out. And it also taught me how to hold my own uh, with a group of guys. Mm. Interesting. So tell us a little bit about your career, career journey, because it's, it's inspiring, truthfully. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, I would call myself the accidental executive, because I went to school for pre law, that was my intent was that one day I would argue before the Supreme Court, I was really focused on civil rights law. Um, But I had no money for law school. So when I graduated, I went to Luther College with a degree in pre law and a minor in business. And when I graduated, I went to work for Tyson Foods. My father had been a part of the acquisition Tyson made of Harker's and moved to Northwest Arkansas. So I started with Tyson thinking I would be there a couple of years and then move on from there and kept getting promoted. So I ended up staying at Tyson for about 17 years, moving progressively through roles in sales and marketing and then operations and general management. Left Tyson and went to, uh, I did a private equity deal between and then went to McCormick and Company, um, the spice company um, in Baltimore, Maryland, and ran the US and Latin America for uh, McCormick. And we had partnerships with folks like PepsiCo and Frito Lay and Coca Cola to do their flavors and seasonings for some of the most beloved brands. And I loved it because it was sort of the Intel chip inside of all the big brands that everybody knows. Uh, And I went from McCormick then to Kellogg's and ran the away from home business for Kellogg's, which was about a billion and a half in sales. And think of it as if you stood outside Walmart and you did a 360 degree turn everywhere else, you could buy a Kellogg product, whether it's snacks or cereals or even some of the plant-based proteins. Those were where our brands were away from home, convenience stores, vending, alternative retail, some e-commerce platforms. 
and left Kellogg's actually last October and joined Glambia Performance Nutrition in November. Glambia is a global leader in, um, in health and wellness based out of Ireland. And there's three verticals. So there's a dairy vertical, big cheese and dairy company. There's a nutritional ingredients vertical, which really supports ingredients to big food companies. So similar to what I did at McCormick. And then there's a consumer branded vertical in performance nutrition. And that's the business I have for the Americas. I have uh, the business from Canada through South America for brands like SlimFast and Think Bars, Amazing Grass, and then sports nutrition mm -hmm. brands like Optimum Nutrition and Isopure. And it's been a, a tremendous amount of fun. Wow. For, for those of us who've been given opportunities to make switches like that, sometimes it can be a difficult decision. Was it hard for you or what, what pushed you over to make the switch? You know, I have always been driven less by title and much more by what I would say would be authority and autonomy and impact. I'm really, I gravitate to challenges that will give me the authority to be the last one my team needs to ask for permission. Um, I don't like to ask for permission myself. And I really want to be able to empower the people around me to be able to own a chunk of the business and make those changes. So authority, the ability with autonomy to work in a, a fairly insulated piece of business so that you know that you sort of control the destiny of the P&L or the geography or the brand or the scope, whatever falls in there, and impact on you know, a business that is influential in its industry, influential in its community, where I can make an impact on people's careers in the way that I have been able to be impacted, and that can do something that leaves a lasting impact on the, the broader marketplace. Mm -hmm. So when I had the opportunity to come to Glambia, there were a couple of things that were really intriguing. One was I've never worked for a publicly held company based outside the U.S. So I knew that there would be stretch and growth. I had the chance to study abroad when I was in college and learned from that, that the world is a lot smaller than we think it is. We're all a lot more alike than we are different. And I wanted the chance to, to really have that connectivity and that stretch. I wanted um, to have broad geography that would have cultural differences. I loved a lot the Latin American market when I was with McCormick and I was intrigued by the opportunity to have that. And then it's the full business. So it was everything from away from home as well as e-commerce and what we do in traditional food drug mass and club retail channels. So it was a chance to really have um, you know a sizable impact. As I look back over my career, I've worked for companies that played in various parts of what I do today. So at Tyson, I had the chance to run operations and the people who work in production locations and are the closest to our products, they really do deliver the difference in the quality of your brand. And when I was at McCormick, you're sort of this Intel chip inside that really differentiates one chip from another because you're delivering the flavors that people remember about the brands that they love. Kellogg's was these big global brands that people grew up with that in parts of the portfolio help people to live their best life and in parts of their portfolio, parts of the portfolio just delight. And there's some brands you sort of have to remind people that it may not be focused around health and wellness, but it is intended to sort of bring joy to your day. Everything in the GPN portfolio supports our vision to inspire people to live or to deliver on their performance and healthy lifestyle goals. And there's something really motivating about that. 
Um, and especially in the last year and a half, I don't know about you, but between a health crisis, the economic crisis, and a social justice crisis, the chance to work for a company that would allow me to align my purpose with all three of those and to make an impact on diversity, equity, and inclusion, on helping people to live their best life and to be able to come out of the pandemic with a focus on both mental and physical health and well-being, and to be focused on how do we ensure people have affordable, accessible nutrition and insights into how to use products to help fuel their day. There was just something about all of that that spoke to me that um, I was ready for the move. Although I will say transitioning to a global company in the midst of a pandemic so that everything I would do to onboard is away from, or, you know, is, is on my TV screen, on my Zoom screen, um, was either incredibly brilliant or incredibly foolish because I was probably naive about the challenges of getting to know people virtually. And yet in some ways I was really lucky that I was able to just click from meeting to meeting and probably connect with more people than I would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And they got to know me personally. They're in my home every day. Mm -hmm. So they would see my, my kids and my husband and my dog and our cat roaming around and doing whatever in the background. And so it probably gave them a chance to get to know me personally in a way they otherwise wouldn't have. For sure. Oh, I love that perspective. Overwhelmed by data, the Master of Business Analytics program at Iowa State University can help with that. Their program will teach you how to organize your data and use it to drive decisions, taking you from down and out to the data-driven top dog. The program is 100% online, it's customizable, plus there's no entrance exam. If you're ready to make your data work for you, visit ivybusiness.iastate.edu for more information. You talk a lot about impact. You know, what tips can you give people listening today on how they can make an impact, um, whether they have a seat at the table like you or um, whether they don't have a seat at the table? Because we can all have an impact, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I tell the story about when I spoke on a women's panel years ago and the question we were all asked, it was in Vegas, people from across industries. And we were asked, when was that moment that you knew that you were different because of your gender? And of course, everybody could speak to this moment. Most of them, it was when they were really young, when they knew that somehow they were treated differently in school or in sports or in a team or in their home than their brother or sister or fill in the blank. And I realized in that moment that I was really lucky that I didn't have a moment when I was young, that it wasn't until I went into the workforce that I was treated different because of my gender. My father was the head of HR for a company in Northwest Iowa called Harker's. And he would bring, you know, every night before dinner, he would have my brother and I read the front page of the newspaper. And he would say, we're going to debate current events. And you're entitled to any opinion. It just has to be an educated and informed opinion. So my brother and I would come prepared to defend our point of view. And there was no, nothing off limits. And he didn't tell us because of our age or our experience or my gender that I didn't have a right to have an opinion. He would bring candidates, executive candidates to dinner at our house when they were interviewing. And we would conduct the same exercise, but just with strangers at the table. And so you rewind 30 years, this were, these were largely older white men sitting around the table. And I would 
openly debate the current events of the day with people who had much more experience than I did. And I learned to use my voice, to use my seat at the kitchen table for impact because I had an informed and educated opinion. Now it wasn't informed by experience and it wasn't informed by title, but it was informed because I was taught to read and study and to have my own insights to add to the dialogue, but also to respect the insights around the table. Mm -hmm. And I took that then as I, I went to Luther College for my undergrad and one of the things I love about liberal arts is that we don't teach people what to think, but we teach them how to think, how to disagree without being disagreeable, how to come together and, and explore big issues from multiple disciplines. And I think that encourages you to have a, a diverse table that will encourage everybody to bring their own individual experience. Because let's face it, we see each of us sees things through our own lens, the lens of our experience, the lens of our knowledge, um, the lens of our own personal beliefs. Uh, and I'm a big believer that your beliefs are shaped by those experiences. So how do we use our experiences to inform, but also how do we drive for expanded experiences so that our perspective is widened? So as I think about people's influence, if you have a seat at the table, if it's a kitchen table, it's a conference room table, it's a boardroom table, you were invited there for a reason. Um, you weren't invited to be the audience. You were invited to be an active participant. So use your seat at the table. Uh, you may be, for me, often in my career, I was younger. Um, I was the only female sitting at the table. I may not have had the title or the experience others had, but I remembered what my dad had taught me that I was there for a reason, not to just take up space, but to actually use my space for impact. And I have done that by using that seat to speak my mind, hopefully respectfully for the others around the table, but also to remember that I need to solicit the opinions of the people at the table that might be more quiet to make sure that I'm saying, you know, I'd love to hear from so-and-so. Um, I know you have this experience. I'd love to get your ideas because sometimes people need someone to tap them to say, I want to know what you think. At the same time, there were often times where I was the only female at the table and there, you know, you hear all the stories about women competing with women for the one seat. I don't think there is just one seat or one slice of the pie for certain demographics. The idea is use all of our ideas to make the table bigger, to make the pie bigger for more voices to drive greater impact. So also use your seat for the people who are not in the room who you could represent or challenge the thinking. Uh, any of us who have been in, and we've all been in environments where you might hear a, an off-color joke or an off-color comment. I've been involved in talent reviews where I was the only female. And I would hear us talk about a young female top talent. And immediately somebody would weigh in and say, well, but didn't she just get married? I don't know if we could tap her for this because she'll be distracted or, oh, she's probably going to have kids. That'll mean X, Y, Z. And I knew I needed to speak up and say that has nothing to do with her capabilities. Her decision on not pursuing an opportunity is her decision, not ours. It's up to us to identify people with the qualities and the capability and to give them the opportunity for stretch and let them decide if their personal life circumstances make it so that they shouldn't take that on. And also then when they say not right now, 
doesn't mean not ever. It means not right now. And let's make sure we keep going back to that person so that they know we didn't forget you. And we'll make sure that you have a seat at the table because we tapped you for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have developed your voice for sure. We might have some people listening today that maybe haven't yet found theirs. You know, tactical tips on how to develop your voice. Every person has influence at every level of every organization. Even if you're not in a business organization, you have influence in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, and you have an opportunity to be able to use that to make real change. The best example of that, to be honest, is my mother. My mom was the hardest working non-paid person I have ever known. (laughs) And in every community we've lived, my mother would see opportunity and then she would bring people together around a common purpose to drive real change. In some cases, it was creating nonprofits. In some cases, it was creating community activist organizations. She even ran for local political office on city council. And the lesson she taught me was that you grow where you're planted and that you also drop seeds so that others can grow where they're planted and that you tap into those people. So every person has a voice at every level um, of any organization. You know, life isn't a spectator sport. Life is meant to be played on the field. And we all have a different field. Just find the place where you're in your sweet spot and invest in that. Do you have any moments when you sort of questioned your voice? <laughs> Every day. Um, <laughs> I was always, well, until recently, I was always the youngest person on a leadership team or the only female. And there were moments, especially when I first joined, uh, when, I, when I first got tapped for a general manager role at Tyson, I moved from a functional role into general management running the global McDonald's business unit, which at the time was about 650 million in sales. We had production locations overseas and the US. And we had this huge customer that reported directly to the CEO of the company. There were a lot of eyes on everything that I would be doing. And there were a whole lot of people on my leadership team who were much older, all men. In fact, one of the gentlemen on my team had started with Don Tyson, had been with the company 45 years and ran operations. And I knew that I was never going to have the same level of experience that the people around me, but they were expecting me to come in and sort of overprove myself, you know, and we all have that moment where we feel like I need to justify why I was selected. Why am I in this seat? I approached it differently. I moved into it with curiosity and a willingness to learn that I was never going to have all the answers. And in fact, I've taken that with me. Every role I've moved into, I've said, my job isn't to have all the answers. It's to ask the right questions. And it's to put the right people in positions so that they can use their experience and their brilliance to help us do the right thing. So I actually went to, Aubrey was his name, and he was the head of operations. And I said, you have forgotten more than I will ever know about live operations and end-to-end supply chain. And I will be your best student if you will help me learn, and we can do this together. So I wanted him to see this as I am not over you in the hierarchy. I am walking beside you in this journey to deliver on the objectives of the business. So Aubrey, and he he took me under his wing, and we would meet every morning at 530 in the office, and he would pull out what we call the brown book, which was a detailed 
live operations cost book that would walk us through every facility we had end-to-end cost structures. He taught me the P&L, taught me mm-hmm. everything I would need to know about the questions to ask, the things to look for, which then when he took me out to farms and feed mills and he took me to production locations, enabled me to ask the right questions that because I asked those questions made me credible with the people around me because they were expecting, well, here's going to be this young girl comes in and tells us all the wisdom she has. (laughs) And instead I came in with bright questions that allowed them to teach me. And and I've taken that with me. Um, But I, so I think that for me, that was probably the biggest crucible moment. The other time was I was at Tyson in, if you recall, in 2008, big economic crisis um, in the fall of 2008. In January, our CEO was let go. Um, and the next day I was let go along with another group of executives. But I also had an 18-month non-compete that because of the categories I ran at Tyson at the time, which was all of prepared foods, meant that I was not going to work in the food industry for 18 months. How to make somebody crazy who is type A and has spent 90% of their time at work is to take that one thing away that has made them successful. And it was so much of my identity was wrapped up in the company and my title and my position in the community. And in in Northwest Arkansas, Tyson is the big employer. So everywhere I went, I ran into people who remembered where I'd been. And in some cases, I sort of became the car crash on the side of the road where people would sort of look the other way or they would would walk Mm -hmm. up to me and they'd sort of tilt their head to the side and say, and how are you? You know, as if I'd been diagnosed with terminal unemployment. And I used that 18 months really to try to explore every part of my life that I'd not spent time doing. Um, A good friend and a mentor said, I want to see you invest in your mind, body, and spirit. So I made a list of things that would stretch my mind. I took courses at the university. I took a photography course to learn how to use my digital camera. Um, I cooked the Barefoot Contessa cookbooks from cover to cover. Um, Body, I started to work out. I um, started training with a running coach. Um, And spirit was both my faith journey. I started to read the cover, the Bible cover to cover, and actually did that with my son. But I also explored areas that I hadn't spent time with, but to invest in my community. I'm a cancer survivor, so I joined the Susan G. Coleman Board of Directors and and a variety of things because I was trying to figure out both what my real passions were, who I wanted to be on the other side of all of this, but I wanted to make myself comfortably uncomfortable. I went skydiving. I am not a skydiver, but I wanted to stretch myself in ways that would help me almost rebuild my confidence that... I could learn new things. Mm -hmm. I can do new things. I can make an impact, even if it's not at this company and with this title. Mm -hmm. And I also then ended up getting calls from former customers who said, I'd I'd really love for you to consult. I couldn't consult because of my separation agreement. So I couldn't pay, get paid to consult. So I ended up consulting for Neiman Marcus gift cards and investing in my industry and connecting. And through that whole process, I learned that I have more value than just my title and my company, that I'm employable. I can get a job somewhere else. 
uh, it may be a different title, but I can make an impact. And that people valued Wendy Davidson's experience and knowledge, not just Wendy Davidson, the executive at Tyson Foods. And boy, did I need that as a way to remind me that I had value. And I think as I look at this last year and a half, there are so many people and women, unfortunately, have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic in, in many ways, losing jobs, being stretched to the, just to their breaking point in supporting family and work. I think it's important for people to remember that we can do hard things. We have the capacity to do lots of things. Women are natural multitaskers. We're, we're masterful at it. We're natural connectors. Leverage networks and connections as a way of helping give you, even if it's just peace of mind in the moment, or to leverage somebody else to help. We're not good at asking for help, but boy, are we good at giving help. So if we can ask others to help be there for us, be our tribe, we can make a big impact. I love that. I asked this question at the end of every Own It podcast, and it's, what's your superpower? And oftentimes, you know, I'm not quite sure if this is the case for you, but oftentimes a superpower ends up being something that wasn't always such a great thing. But at the end of the day, we look at it and say, hey, that actually serves me well. Whether or not that's the case with you, what do you, what would you say is your superpower and how do you own it? You know, what's funny is I, um, so when you sent the questions in advance, I actually asked my family because I thought, well, I want to know, what do you think? What do my kids think? My, I have a son who just graduated from college, a daughter who's in high school. What's mom's superpower? And it was interesting because what was in my mind is actually what they came up with, which is that I am a connector. I connect people with one another to potentially add experience or insights or knowledge. I'm a connector of people with opportunities. Um, I, I sort of view myself as an informal recruiter because I'm often connecting people I know looking for talent with people I know who have talent. And I'm a sort of naturally seen in conversations who are the people who need to know each other? Because by knowing each other, they have something they can help each other out with. When I think about that tribe who can add something or provide support, uh, I think that that would be my superpower. And if I had to choose one, that's the one I would want it to be. As I look back over my career, I've been really fortunate that either someone saw something in me I didn't see in myself and gave me opportunity, or when crisis hit my business, I knew someone who had gone through a similar situation and I could reach out and ask them questions and advice, or I had people I could tap into when I was new to a company who have capabilities that could help us accelerate our strategy. Those mm -hmm. connections and networks have paid dividends for every company I've worked with and every brand I've worked on. But even for me personally, they have enriched my life in ways that's allowed me to, to pay it forward. I'm a big believer that we can speak up for ourselves. So I can talk all day long about why I believe in gender balanced leadership teams. But I know that male champions speaking about the benefit of gender balanced leadership teams will carry more weight because they have a perceived something to lose and they have almost nothing to gain except for a great talent, of course, on their teams. So I have intentionally leaned in to provide connections between groups that I know need a seat at the table people of color on my team, LGBTQ plus people on my team or in my family 
who need someone to remind people that people need to be able to show up every day as their most authentic self so that they can be the most creative and have the most capacity to give to the environments that they're in. Winnie Davidson, we wish you the best of luck. This was a great conversation and I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it too. Be well, my friend. Thanks, you too. Okay, who's going to be asking their kids to read the front page now? (laughs) What a great story. Register today for Women Connect workshops in September. We have workshops in Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, Sioux Falls, the Quad Cities, and Cedar Falls. We can't wait to see you in person. Register at wlcglobal.org. You have two opportunities to see Women Lead Change conferences this October. The Quad Cities Conference is October 13th, and the Central Iowa Conference in Des Moines is October 27th and 28th. Hybrid options are available. Tickets at wlcglobal.org. Nominations for the Iowa Women of Achievement Bridge close on September 1. Find out more details and nominate someone today at wlcglobal.org. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. More information and tickets can be found at wlcglobal.org.